Luke 7, 11. And I'm reading out of the New King James. It says, now it happened the day after. I think King James says the next day. Um, other translations don't articulate it that way. But I think it's important that we do get the time frame here. Um, the day after that he went into a city called Nain. And many of his disciples went with him and a large crowd. And when he had come near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd with the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said, Do not weep. Then he came and touched, now my translation says the open coffin. If you've got a translation, uh, King James says the beer, B-I-E-R. That's a good translation, the beer. That's what it is. Don't think of a closed casket. It's an open uh, coffin. And those who carried him stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he presented him to his mother. Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has risen up among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him went throughout all Judea, and all the surrounding region. So I want to talk to you this morning about a mother's miracle on this Mother's Day. And Pastor Larry, we're so glad to have your family here with us this morning. If you want to introduce them, you can. But uh, if you pray for us and, and that God would open our ears. Yes. Amen. Thank you. All right, let's look at this. I'm trying not to be too long-winded today. I'm sure you guys got places to go and uh, things to do today. Uh, I alliterated all my points today. Uh, they all start with a P. And sometimes that's a little cheesy, I know, but I thought it would, it would be good just to kind of help us remember these. Number one, I want to talk to you about the place uh, of the miracle. Now, it says it happened the day after. Now, we have to look and see what happened the previous day. In the previous day... Jesus was in a place called Capernaum, and he healed a centurion's uh, servant. Now, let me explain uh, at this point some customs that might not be familiar to, uh, to us. The Jewish people, they did not embalm their dead, and they buried them very quickly. Usually they would bury them the same day, uh, if possible. So, um, they, they had some thoughts about the afterlife, too. I won't get into all that. It's, it's not pertinent to what we're talking about today, but they buried them very quickly. So it's entirely possible that the boy died while Jesus was on his way to the city of Nain. Now when he, uh, when he gets to Nain, this city is a, uh, we don't know much about it except for what we read about in the scripture, but it was a, a, small, uh, a small town, maybe a village. Uh, it was about a day's journey from Capernaum. Nearby was Nazareth and Shunem and Endor. Anybody remember what the city of Endor is famous for? There was a witch that Saul went to visit there in Endor. The place of the miracle is Nain. And I want to tell you, God can work a miracle in a small town. You know, you may feel like you're in some insignificant place, but God is everywhere. There's nowhere that God can't touch you. Next, I want to talk about the... Uh, now, and it says that his disciples were with him, and there was a large crowd. There was a lot of people following Jesus. This would include the apostles, but also those who were just his pupils, his disciples. 
Now, in verse two, in, in 12, it says that he came to the, the gate of the city. So I want to talk now about the providence of God. Do you think it's any accident that Jesus comes to the gate of the city at exactly the time when they're carrying him out? Now, think about this. By this point in time, the funeral's already over. The funeral's already over, and they're carrying him outside the city gate to the cemetery. It says, when he came near to the gate of the city, you know there's no accidents in the economy of God. We need to just take luck out of our vocabulary. I'm not lucky, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. And the providence of God, that Jesus Christ just happens to come to the city gate at the very moment this grieving woman and this large procession is bringing this boy, this man, young man, on this open casket. We see the providence of God. It says, behold, a dead man. Now, it can't get any worse for him, right? I mean, there's nothing he can do about his situation. But in verse, but my next point, point number three, I've only got nine of those. We're already on three. We're doing good, aren't we? My third point is the plight of the woman. It says that there was um, the only son of his mother. Now, this woman only had this one son, and he is now gone. And it says also she was a widow. So she's already been through this one time. She's already been through one funeral of a loved one. And now we see her plight. This boy was probably going to be her only means of income. He was her, the family name would stop with his death. And she is in about the most pitiful condition that anybody could be in that society. This woman had lost, in, in, you know, pardon the vernacular, she had lost everything. She was in a pitiful position to where basically all she could do now was be dependent upon the kindness of others. No means of income, no means of support, uh, of, of being taken care of. And here she is. She's in a terrible plight. But how many of you know when Jesus is involved, your situation is never hopeless? You're never in a There's nothing too hard for God. All things are possible with God. I want you to see also the participation of the city, point number four. We've got the place of the miracle, the providence of God, the plight of the woman, and the participation of the city. Notice the scripture says in the same verse, there was a large crowd with her. There's a large crowd with Jesus, and there's a large crowd in this funeral procession. Uh, two different perspectives on life for sure, right? One group is filled with excitement, with joy. They've seen the miracles of Jesus. And another crowd uh, mourning and sad. The participation of the city. Now, in a Jewish funeral, even the poorest family, they would have at least two flute players. It was a big, it was a big social event. They would have at least two flute players, and they would have somebody with a, a cymbal making a, a dissonant noise. You know, that just it's not a melodic thing. It's a, it's it's dissonance. It's to feel the 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 the, the pathos of it all. You know, the the sadness. The and they would hire mourners, professional mourners. People would actually get paid to uh, 
to go along with the funeral procession and they would, they called them wailing women and they would cry. They had professional mourners. And I believe we need to, uh, we need to minister to those who have lost people, lost their loved ones. As a church family, as Christians, we need to uh, reach out. Thank God for the people who work in the funeral homes who have a, it's a ministry, I do believe, and, uh, and, and hospice and those who care for, for those who are terminally ill. But uh, there's a dignity that, that every person, every person, I don't care who they are, every person created in the image of God deserves some dignity in their death. Everybody does. And this young man is no different. So we see the participation of the city. Now, my fifth point is we're going to see the pity of the Lord. The first time uh, Luke uses the word kurios, which is Lord, to refer to Jesus Christ. And it's very appropriate here because we're going to see that this man, Jesus, has power over death because he's God in the flesh. Now, when Jesus saw her, it says in verse 13, when the Lord saw her, in English it simply says he had compassion on her. The Greek word is splagizomai, and I had to practice that in front of the mirror a lot of times this morning. And I still didn't pronounce it right, but you'll never know the difference, right? Because you, you're not familiar with that word. But splagnizomai, there's really no great English equivalent, but it means to feel something deep down. To feel it so much that it just moves you. Have you ever been just so moved with emotion that you just felt it the deepest part, you know? Just almost out of your belly, you want to say? And this is what Jesus felt. He felt compassion on this woman he cared Je- you know jesus said if you've seen me you've seen the father if you're wondering today does god care about you absolutely 100 percent. god cares about you and your situation and god loves you it has been said that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care and i believe we should be people of compassion too. Christ was deeply moved. Uh, this miracle is unique because it doesn't require any faith. Usually, there's some faith on the part of the, the recipient of the healing. But in this particular instance, there's no faith. Nobody's praying a prayer of faith. Nobody's even made a request. God, in Christ, is simply moved with compassion. That's all it says. He was moved with compassion. Now he says to her, weep not. That's a strange thing to say to a woman in her condition, isn't it? And on the lips of anybody else, that would be cruel. But from the lips of Jesus Christ, these are words of comfort. Because he is the Lord over life and death itself. He tells her not to weep. Next, I want to talk about the purity of the Savior. Point number six. The purity of the Savior. It says here that he came and he touched the open coffin. Is that what your Bible says? Or the beer? He came and he touched the open coffin. Now that didn't mean a whole lot to us because most of us are not Jewish in here. But I want you to go with me to Numbers chapter 19. I'm going to put Adam to work this morning. Numbers 19. And this is an unusual chapter, but it deals with the protocols 
of coming in contact with a dead body. And Adam, I apologize in advance. There's going to be a few verses that you're going to have to read here. But in uh, Numbers 19, will you read verses 11 through 20? He who touches the dead body of anyone shall be unclean seven days. He shall purify himself the water on the third day and on the seventh day. Then he will be clean. But if he does not purify himself on the third day and on the seventh day, he will not be clean. Whoever touches the body of anyone who has died and does not purify himself defies the tabernacle of the Lord. That person shall be cut off from Israel, and he shall be unclean because the water of the purification was not sprinkled on him. His uncleanliness is still on him. This is the law when a man dies in a tent. All who come into the tent and all who are in the tent shall be unclean seven days. And every open vessel which has no cover fastened on it is unclean. Whoever in the open field touches one who is slain by a sword or who has died or a bone of a man or a grave shall be unclean seven days. And for an unclean person they shall take some of the ashes of the heifer burnt from purification from sin. And running water shall be put on them in a vessel. A clean person shall take hyssop and dip it in the water, sprinkle it on above tent and all the vessels and on the persons who were there, or on the one who touched a bone, the slain, the dead, or a grave. The clean person shall sprinkle the unclean on the third day and on the seventh day. And on the seventh day he shall purify himself, wash his clothes, and bathe in water, and at the evening he shall be clean. But the man who is unclean does not purify himself, that person shall be cut off from among the assembly because he has defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. The water for purification has not been sprinkled on him and he is unclean. All right, so if you touch a dead body, if you go into it, even a room where there's a dead body, you're going to be ceremonially, ceremonially, did I say that right? I think I did. Unclean for a minimum of seven days. And God did this, I believe, to show the devastating effects of sin. Death is a result of Adam's sin. When Adam sinned, death came into the world. And so there's great detail in this because God is showing us the contamination of sin in the human heart. Now, Jesus Christ is not worried about being ceremonially unclean, is he? Well, number one, he's God. He's holy. He never sinned. There's no... And by the way, the person who touched a dead body, it didn't mean that they had sinned. It just mean, meant that they were ceremonially unclean. just want to make that point. But Christ, when faced with human need, was not concerned about ceremony and ritual. He was concerned about having compassion on the needs of others. And what a lesson we can learn from that. The purity of the Savior. In Israel, Ligon Duncan, he's a Presbyterian minister, said, there's no greater ritual impurity in Israel than to touch a corpse or to touch, or, or to touch a thing that a corpse has touched. Um, in the, uh, during the feast days, Passover, and especially Passover, they would whitewash the tombs in the, in the cemetery. They would whitewash. And it wasn't a decorative thing. It was that nobody would accidentally step on a grave and not be able to participate in the, the, uh, the feast. That's why Jesus looked at the Pharisees and he said, you're a bunch of whitewashed tombs. That's, that's what the expression comes from. Nicodemus, you remember him? Nick at night. 
He came to Jesus by night three times. Um, that's how I know in my heart that Nicodemus will see him in heaven because he was the one who took the body of Jesus down from the cross. So he was willing to defile himself to, to show his solidarity with the Savior. Praise God. That gives me goosebumps. I love Nicodemus. All right. Number seven. There's only nine. Number seven, the power of God. Then he, t- he touched the coffin, and those that carried him stood still. I got baby Addison all upset. She said, you're preaching too long, Henry. I'm sorry, honey. Young man, I say to you, arise. Hallelujah. No, no big pomp and circumstance, just the word of the living God. But you've got to remember, this is the same one that said, let there be light, and the universe was created. The Bible says, without Christ, nothing was made. Let's go to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. This is one of three times that Jesus raised somebody from the dead in the gospel. We've got the widow's son here. We've got Jairus' daughter. That was his only daughter. Who was the third one? Say it louder. Lazarus, that's right. Now, there were likely more, but those are the ones that are recorded in the Scripture, those three. John chapter 5, and I want you, Adam, if you would, read verses 25 through 29. And just soak it all in when he's reading it. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who will hear will live, for as the Father has life in himself. So he has granted the Son to have life in himself, and has given himself authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice. Okay, sorry. (laughs) And come forth those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. And I can can, um, of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will but thy will of the Father who has sent me. All right. One of these days, the dead, that means the wicked and the righteous, they're going to hear the voice of the Son of God. And they got no choice but to come out of that grave. They got no choice. Just like Lazarus. That's why Jesus had to call him by name. If he didn't say, Lazarus, come forth, the whole cemetery would have come out. Because he's, he's God. And he's God manifest in the flesh. All right, let's go back to Luke now. Now, it says, so he, w- he who was dead sat up and began to speak. That's how we know it wasn't a closed coffin, right? Because <laughs> that'd be kind of freaky, wouldn't it? You heard the story about the three men that went to their friend's funeral. There, uh, there's three guys that went to a mutual friend's funeral. And they were really moved, and after the service, they, uh, they went out to eat. And they were talking about, what do you want people to say about you? At your funeral. 
And the first guy said, well, I'm a doctor. I want everybody to talk about how I cured people and healed them. And they all nodded their head. And the second guy says, well, at my funeral, he said, I want them to tell, tell what a good husband I was and a good father because I love my wife and my children. They, they agreed. And the third guy said, well, at my funeral, I want him to point at me and say, look, he's moving. <laughs> so at this point, they're looking at the boy and he's moving. <laughs> and he's talking. These are clear evidences of life. Now, Scripture says that he presented him to his mother. That's an interesting phrase. But it just shows the tenderness of it all. Now, this is reminiscent of uh, 1 Kings 17. You don't have to turn there. But Elijah raises a widow's son from the dead. And after Elijah raises the widow's son from the dead, the Bible says he delivered him to his mother. It's, a, it's, a, it's an allusion to what Elijah did. Elisha he, uh, raised a, a boy from the dead too, 2 Kings chapter 4. Now let's talk about, we've talked about the power of God. Uh, we had the presentation of his mother, to his mother. Last point, the people's response. Point number nine, the people's response. It says, fear came upon all, and they glorified God. You know, when the power of God begins to move in your life, you get a deeper appreciation for the holiness and the righteousness of, of God Almighty. Anytime somebody had an encounter with God, they were not arrogant. They fell on their knees. They fell on their face. And they said, I'm, I'm undone. Woe is me. God have mercy on me. And it produced fear. But they also glorified God. You know, it's appropriate for us to praise the Lord when he does something in our lives. When he answers that prayer, it's appropriate for us to glorify God. But they have an improper understanding. Notice they say a great prophet has risen up from what? Among us. Well, they had been without a prophet for about 400 years. And no doubt this reminded them of Elijah and Elisha. But Jesus is more than just a prophet. Now, Moses predicted that there would be a great prophet, the prophet. And they may have meant that. I don't know. But I'm inclined to believe they didn't have a proper understanding. A lot of people believe Jesus is a good teacher. A lot of religions believe that Jesus was a prophet. But he's more than just a prophet. He is the son of the living God. And the creator of the universe. And it says that God has visited his people. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God had visited his people. You know God wants to visit with you. He wants to visit with you. He wants to touch you. He wants to touch you this morning. He wants to answer your prayers. He wants to give you peace. He wants to give you comfort. Would you stand? There's a few things I want to summarize here. 
There's two crowds. There's two large crowds. One is going to a city. The other is going to the cemetery. Which crowd are you in? There's two only sons that meet in the gate of the city. One is alive but destined to die. The other is dead but destined to live. There's two sufferers that meet in the city gate. There's a woman who's lost everything. And there's a Savior who is the man of sorrows. God knows your pain, my friend. There's no pain that you feel that God doesn't know. He has felt it all. And He loves you. Finally, there's two enemies that meet. Death and life. And Jesus gives death a preview of coming attractions. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And all who trust in Him will have life. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this day, He died on the cross for your sins. He rose again. But you and I can be saved. And if you simply come to Him and believe in your heart, He will save your soul. Maybe you just have a need you want to leave here on the foot of the cross, here at this altar. If so, I invite you to come.